We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22 at a very classic passage of Scripture to consider at this moment in time. It is an interaction with Pilate and with Jesus and with a crowd of people. And Pilate asks a question for the ages. Pilate saith unto him, verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. What shall I do then with Jesus? This is a question of supernal importance. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, this isn't some sports figure, not an entertainer, not uh, a politician. This is Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of glory, Savior of the world. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, the subject of this question makes it then the most important question of all. What shall I do with Jesus? It's a question of personal importance. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, this isn't a question that somebody else can answer for us. As much as we might like to, parents, we can't answer this question for our children. This is a question that all of us must face ourselves and answer ourselves. We can't answer it for somebody else. Nobody can answer it for us. What shall I do with Jesus? It is a question then of supernal importance. What shall I do with Jesus? Of personal importance. What shall I do with Jesus? But it is also a question of eternal importance. What shall I do with Jesus? Now you might argue tonight that, uh, uh, well, you know, I, I'm not going to do anything with Jesus. Not going to make a decision. Uh, not going to uh, try to settle anything. You're not going to talk me into it. And let me say quickly again, I don't want to talk you into it. Do you know say, I'm not going to make a decision. Well, your decision not to decide is in fact a decision. You've made it. What shall I do with Jesus? I remind you tonight that as you stood before Pilate, or is it that Jesus rather stood before Pilate on that day long ago. So now I stand him before you tonight. And as Pilate did, so you must do. What must I do with Jesus? Remember that this same Jesus that I can stand before you tonight. And it stood before Pontius Pilate so long ago. What will I do, Pilate said, with Jesus? And I would say to you, what will you do with Jesus tonight? But let's remember one day this same Jesus will stand not before you but above you. And on that day, at that moment in time, he will be expressing a decision about you. And what he says about you on that day is going to be a reflection about what you say about him. If you reject Jesus Christ, one day when you stand before him, he will reject you. 
and those terrible and awful words that the Bible records, then will I say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You reject him, he'll reject you. But if you receive him, he will receive you. Enter thou into my Father's kingdom. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You see, this is an eternal decision. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Tonight I want to take this uh, a little bit deeper for us and look beyond just the question itself. Though we could have spent all of our time just on these three uh, ideas about the question itself. But I want us to look before at the scene a little bit so, uh, so long ago as Jesus stood before Pilate and think about that decision that Pilate made. First of all, I want you to notice that Pilate made an informed decision. It was an informed decision about Jesus Christ. Verse 17, Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? You see, Pilate had the opportunity for a personal encounter with Jesus. If you read all of the gospel narratives, you will find out that Pilate and Jesus actually interacted. Pilate asked questions. Jesus gave pointed and direct answers. A lot of times people ask Jesus trick questions and, and he would ask, or, or respond to them with another question or they'd say something to them and he'd give it right back to him. But Pilate asked for direct information and Jesus gave it to him. He answered his questions. So they interacted. He had the opportunity of talking to the Son of God and of seeing the Son of God. Now, he quickly wished to get out of this situation. He found out that Jesus was a Galilean, and so he immediately wanted to refer him to Herod because that was Herod's jurisdiction. But then Herod said, oh no, he's not in Galilee. He's in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem puts him under your jurisdiction. So he sent him right back. Um, you see, Pilate really didn't want to make a decision about Jesus, but he had to. And he was making an informed decision because he was right there in front of them. You might have responded to Jesus Christ at some time in your life thinking, hey, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a Bible scholar. You might have responded to the idea of Jesus and said, well, I'm not a religious person. I'm not really a person who goes to church. I'm not a fan of organized religion. There's a thousand ways of saying it. But the fact is, you can no more avoid this personal encounter with Jesus Christ and just push Him away and out of your mind than Pilate could. He has a remarkable way of coming back to us again and again and again, being right there before us, right in front of us, asking the question, what will you do? What shall I do then with Jesus Christ? And not only did He have... Uh, that personal encounter with Jesus. But he also had a lot of compelling information about Jesus. Uh, notice in verse 18 he said, He knew that for envy uh, they, that is the Jews, had delivered him. You see, Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders were trying to have Jesus killed out of pure, rotten, green-eyed jealousy. He knew that. Jesus had drawn crowds uh, that the Jewish leaders had never drawn. 
He had done miracles and none of them had ever performed even one. And and Jesus had performed so many uh, that nobody could even count them all. Every argument that they brought to him, Jesus refuted and oftentimes turned the tables on them and asked them questions that just had them slinking away. And in all of this, there was born in their hearts a terrible envy and jealousy that has now moved them to kill him. And Pilate knew it. He knew it. But there was more than, than is at work here than just Pilate's intellectual ability. Historically, we know that Pilate governed in Judea for over 10 years. He had risen to a high governmental position. We know Pilate uh, was not a dummy. He was a smart man. But it's not just his intellect that's at work here in allowing him to know about Jesus. There was something else. Look in verse 19. When he was set down as Pilate on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things in a dream uh, this day because of him. I may be speaking to a husband tonight. And there have been many times when your wife has begged you to go to church with her, begged you not to hook up to that bass boat, begged you not to go off to the ball field, begged you to go to church with her and her kids. And you've said no. There's many a man who has refused the pleas of good, godly women who've tried to get them to make a decision about Christ. Think about this then tonight. Think about Pilate's wife who spoke to him on Jesus' behalf, telling him that Jesus was just and expressing that he was powerful enough that even while he was enduring all the things that he had endured during the night at the hands of the high priest in the high priest's court, he was able to reach across time and space and trouble her and her dreams. I've suffered many things have nothing to do with this just man. Pilate could have at that moment, you see, made a decision about Jesus. He knew what he saw. He had a personal encounter with him. He knew what he heard. His wife told him, he's a just man. And don't get called in, don't get drawn into this. But there was something else that was appealing to Pilate. More than his intellectual ability. More than what he heard uh, from the people who were around him and even his own wife. And that was what he was feeling in his heart. Because there's something about the name of Jesus that reaches out and touches our heart and compels us to make a response. That's why the name of Jesus is so hated in our culture. Uh, That's why that it's so muted and everybody wants to take Jesus out of almost everything that we have been. In this current crisis that we're in, one of the most thrilling things about it, if you can be thrilled about anything, is to see how many preachers, how many singers, how many people in all kinds of situations in public life are leading in prayer and calling upon God. And yes, even calling upon the name of Jesus. That's encouraging. Um, But you see, there's something about the name of Jesus that just hearing it, being around it. And that something is not human persuasion. That something is the power of the Spirit of God. 
Jesus promised us that when the Spirit of God is in the world, He will convict, and that is convince me, people. He will draw people to Jesus Christ. He will convince them of their sins. He will point them to Jesus Christ. He will empower the message of the gospel. And some of you may be feeling that right now. It's not me, folks. It's the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the truth of the gospel. Pilate then made a decision, and it was an informed decision. He saw Jesus. He talked to Jesus. He heard testimony about Jesus, and he had that inner conviction in his own heart. It was an informed decision. Pilate will never be able to stand before God and say, Hey, I just didn't know. I didn't know. Mm Mm-mm. Neither can you. Pilate also made then an influenced decision. Verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Right up front then we see that Pilate was influenced by the people. We can add in Mark 15 and 15. Pilate says, it says, willing to content the people. Released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Many people are influenced in their decision for Jesus Christ, for good or for bad. Some influenced toward him by the testimony of other people. By being in a church service, being around other people who are, are singing and praising Jesus and, and all the things that uh, empower the testimony of God's people. And they're influenced then by people to make a decision for Christ. But many times it goes just the other way. What will people think if I become a Christian? What will all my buddies at school think? If I become a Christian, what will all my friends at work think? That crude and coarse and cutthroat crowd that I do business with all the time, what will they think when I tell them that I'm a Christian? But he was also influenced by his position. John chapter 19 and verse 12 says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now Pilate served under under Caesar and he trembled at the possibility that the Jews might report that he had let a rival king challenge the imperial authority of Rome. That was treason. He might lose his position. He might lose his life. But he would certainly lose his position and he would lose then his possessions and his prominence. You know, it's easy to let our position and the power and the possessions that they bring influence us and our decisions about Christ. I can't begin to tell you all the things I've heard over the years as excuses for not receiving Christ or becoming a Christian, but so many times they center on money. Oh, I tell you, all that church wants is your money. Well, if I accept Jesus Christ, you know, they're going to be wanting my money. Often it's some sin or bad habit. Well, you know, I like to drink. I like to whatever. I've heard them all. 
These days, more than anything else, the excuses I hear seem to be time. Well, you know, I like to go to the lake on Sunday. I like to go to the golf course on Sunday. Sunday's my only day off. I like to spend it with myself and my family. Sports, outdoor events. But you know, this is one of Satan's biggest lies. Listen to me tonight, we're almost done. This is one of Satan's biggest lies. Is to convince us that being a Christian is all about what it's going to cost us. Let me tell you something tonight. Being a Christian is all about what Jesus Christ does for us. And no matter what we might give as a Christian, it pales in insignificance to what Jesus Christ gives us. We get far, far more from Jesus than we ever give to Him or give up for Him. What did He give up for us? His very life. He gave it all. Jesus promises us that we'll be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The import of that is beyond our ability to measure. Lastly, the pilot made an informed decision. He made an influence decision. But he also made the incorrect decision. John chapter 19 and verse 4 puts it this way, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Hmm. It's hard to imagine a time in history when a judge has ever said, Not guilty. Put him to death. Not guilty. Kill him. You see, those two things don't go together, do they? They don't go together in our court. They didn't go together in theirs either. I find no fault in him. Crucify him. Pilate made the incorrect decision. The interesting thing we see in this passage, he said it twice. Twice. So much had happened, he had already scourged Jesus. The soldiers had put this purple robe on him and that crown of thorns and put a reed in his hand and then began to hit him in the thorns on his head. You can only imagine. As he stood there, no doubt trembling, his body already perhaps going into shock from the loss of blood. You would think that perhaps the crowd would have had mercy. Not at all. Crucify him. Crucify him. You see, Pilate had the chance to receive Jesus and believe on him. Only a few hours later, a thief would right beside him. Lord, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. Amazingly, just a little time after that, one of the soldiers would. Truly, this man was a son of God. Pilate had the same choice. But he made the incorrect decision. Crucified. Somebody, though, and the Jewish leaders would speak the truth that day. He saved others, but himself, he could not save. Now, their statement was correct, but their reasoning was wrong. You see, when they said of Jesus, he saved others, but he couldn't save himself, they thought that he was powerless about what was happening to him, and he was not. The old hymn writer perhaps said it best when he said he could have called 10,000 angels. <laughs> and they would have run rushing over the battlements of heaven. And ushered in Armageddon on the spot. Made an end to this whole rotten, sinful mess. He could have. But he didn't. The writer of the book of Hebrews then says it best in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was love, you see, that held him to the cross that day. It was love that made it true. He saved others. Himself, he could not save. Why could Jesus not save himself? Because of the joy that was set before him. Who with the joy that was set before him? Oh, that's all of you and me. You see, though the message of the gospel contains the message of our sinfulness and of our rejection and the possibility that we might turn away from Jesus Christ, or reject Him, or refuse Him, or add our voice literally to the ones that said crucify Him. The reality of it is the gospel is called the good news because it's about how much Jesus loves us. That He loved us enough to go to the cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, to come crashing out of that tomb, as the captain now of our salvation. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and after this prayer, Jason and I are going to sing together uh, the song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And I just invite you all to sing right along with us there at home. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. The words of a thousand, a million tongues could never say thank you enough for what you did for us. So undeserving. Oh, but thank you. Thank you for purchasing our pardon, for becoming our Savior. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And that's hold before men and women, boys and girls. This person, this man called Jesus Christ. And have him ask the question, what shall I do with Jesus?
Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Oh, how he loves you.